be able to accept rejection. You're going to get nothing but no's. And it doesn't matter about all the no's you get. It's the one yes that you get. That's what's important. I got rejected. I applied to four film schools. I got rejected from three of them. I had no idea about USC. And that was the one I happened to get into. But I moved out here without knowing that. And, you know, but that was all it took was one yes. It's like I may not have had any kind of thing going in my career, but it took Ava said yes for Queen Sugar. Are you an aspiring creative in entertainment, business, fashion, design, or the arts? Do you want to elevate your creative passion project to the next level? Then this show is for you. Whether you want a career in television, film, radio, literature, music, or beyond, Creative Breakthrough will show you how to take your dreams and turn them into reality. This show will not only leave you feeling motivated and inspired, but also provide you real-life tools to pursue the creative journey you have always wanted. I'm your host, creative coach, and chicken wing lover, Shireen Kassab, a.k.a. The Funny Brown Girl. Yes, I have an unhealthy obsession with chicken wings. Now, get ready to flex your creative muscle. Our guest today, a true hyphenate, Tina is a writer, director, and producer for television and film. She's currently a writer and producer for Fox's upcoming series, Proven Innocent. She was a co-producer, writer, and director for the second season of USA's hit drama, Queen of the South, and a producer, writer, and director on OWN's Queen Sugar, created by Ava DuVernay and Oprah Winfrey. Tina's other television directing credits include Netflix's Dear White People, ABC's The Mayor, HBO's Insecure, FX's Pose, and Star's Power. Tina began her career co-writing the feature screenplay Itty Bitty Titty Committee, directed by Jamie Babbitt. The film premiered at the Berlin International Film Festival and won Best Feature Narrative at South by Southwest Film and Music. Tina went on to write and direct her first feature film, Mississippi Damned, which garnered an impressive 13 awards for participation in 15 film festivals, including awards for Best Feature Film and Best Screenplay at the Chicago International Film Festival. Tina was featured in The Advocate magazine as part of their Top 40 Under 40 issue, which features the top 40 individuals who are raising the bar in their respective fields. So let's get started, because Tina definitely is raising the bar in her respective field. Welcome to the guest chair, Tina. Hey, how are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. I'm happy to be on. Yeah. Are you in LA right now or Mississippi? Um, in LA. So um, haven't been back to Mississippi. I got to do my yearly visit soon uh, to see my family. Uh, but yeah, based out here in LA. So uh, yeah, I'm getting to that point where it's um, almost like I've spent half my life here and half in Mississippi. So <laughs> I know it's okay. kind of getting in that weird phase of where you're from but Mississippi I think is always going to definitely be my answer so (laughs) well I definitely want to get into your movie that was based on your based on Mississippi but before we start I love asking um, my guests this question so I'd love to start with how did your creative journey start so the way that it started was kind of a you know everybody has a different story and and how we get into this industry and then how we our path and so for me I mean I always loved movies like that that was something that connected with me and my mama. Like we would watch these old Christopher Lee vampire movies. (laughs) But what it did was, you know, not so much of the quality of the movie, 
but we would be we would talk and they would create discussions between the two of us and and I would also also just love film and I loved writing like and I you know everything that I learned it was everything was from TV because I didn't you know we were you know we didn't have any money as a family so traveling was out of the picture you know out of the picture so the only thing that you had to connect to the outside world was TV and you know and I was just became enamored with just creating stories and so I mean like I would take my little happy meal toys and <laughs> play around <laughs> with them like and have episodic openings I'm like I now realize it <laughs> so That's I think awesome. I even took a commercial break <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness how old were you like like you must have been in your elementary school yeah I was probably like six seven eight something around there okay. you know Yeah. And, you know, and I tried to write my first novel when I was 12. And so, I mean, but, you know, I always kind of, I realize now looking back as, you know, and I tried to write another novel in college and undergrad, um, that that was just me trying to find my voice and a way to therapeutically also kind of escape my current circumstances. Um, And, you know, and I'm like, I would never show anybody what I wrote at 12. I'm like, my wife is not even privy to that. <laughs> so, like, that's never going to be shown because it was horrible. But I did have a full script. I, I give myself that. <laughs> it was the beginning, middle, and end. <laughs> so that's good enough. That's hilarious. So was there a TV show or film that really inspired you growing up that you were like, this is what I want to do? At that time, like, it wasn't so much, uh, it wasn't so much like, here's one film that's really kickstarting it off. It's more of, just the industry itself of the medium of television and the medium of film, mm-hmm. um, just and its totality. But what really made me change is like, you know, I'm an undergrad, I'm a political science psychology major, and I'm studying for the LSAT. I'm in my last year. I'm like, well, I guess I'm going to law school. And then I watched, now these are where the movies became very crucial to my life. Um, I watched Boys Don't Cry by uh, okay. Kimberly Pierce and Love and Basketball. And when I saw at the end of each film that it was written and directed by a woman, I decided to put the LSAT book down. And the next thing I did, I applied to film school and I gave myself a D date. I said, I'm leaving Mississippi no matter what, May 26, 2001. I'm driving. I'm doing what I got to do. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm trying. I'm gonna find. I know I've never been on an airplane. I've never been to Los Angeles. I, I found my apartment online, and I have not been accepted into school yet over here at all. And I step out uh, because I, you know, two women. I saw them and their stories and their movies touched me and stayed with me. That it set up a precedent of that's where I've always wanted to make sure with my films or anything that I try to work on that it stays with you because of and have has an impact on people because that's what changed my life just knowing and seeing that made me know what was possible and and to go outside of even though you never see anybody making a film in Mississippi it ain't happening Uh, like it's it's very rare uh and chances are (laughs) a film crew would not be coming to people (laughs) Mississippi but um you know but it's like you don't have it so it doesn't seem to exist um for you and that's the thing about it that's so beautiful about it that yeah these two women they they changed my life they gave me that that courage and that inspiration to actually say the hell with law school I'm going to film school (laughs) 
Yes. And I want to ask you that. So you were in law school and then you decided to go to film school. Like walk us through that transition. Like how did, did you just wake up one day and decide this is not what I want to do? Well, I, I hadn't gotten into law school yet. I was right there on, you know, just studying for the test and getting ready to get ready to go to law school. And so I hadn't officially wow. got, you know, gotten to that point, but oh, yes, okay. it was exactly that. It was like, you watch these two movies that change your life. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to go more into debt, you know, going to law school. If I'm going to do that, I'm going to do it for something that I love. And the scary as it was, it was like, this is, this was, that was my, this, my mistress. So, you know, at that time, my wife, it wasn't, you know, I wasn't with anyone. So, but you know, but that's what that was. And it was that heartbeat that was there. And I just decided to take that chance. And I was like, mm-hmm. it's worth me driving across the country and going to a place I know nothing about. And I have no idea if I'm getting in film school or not. None. And I'm just good, but I'm going to make this work somehow mm-hmm. because it's possible. It's possible. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but it's possible. Um, and that was a very scary, you know, scary, but at the same time, empowering moment, because I knew I didn't have the luxury to fail. Right. Yeah. I, I feel like a lot of us in that boat, we don't take those risks because we don't have the luxury to fail. And that stops us because we're scared. Right? Exactly. And fear can hold you back. And that's something that it either can hold you back or it can drive you. Um, and that's mm-hmm. the thing about really got to pick which one. And I and I think that goes into just also about being in this industry or people who want to get in it. It's like it's okay to be afraid about about things. That's a being fear is not an issue. It's how you respond to the fear. You know what I mean? And it's it's just one of those things. Like for me, you know, it's like I, I can't let it cripple me. You know, I may like trust me. I'm scared all the time. You know, <laughs> like writing or directing. Like in the beginning, you are so even scared. now. Yeah. Oh yes. Every time you you write something, and this <laughs> is like every writer, you feel like that's the last thing you're ever gonna write. You're like, that's it, done. I have no more stories in my life. I have no more stories to tell. <laughs> and you think it's the last. You, you're like, this is the last thing I'm ever writing. But knowing damn well that <laughs> you are are going to write again, it's weird. It, and I think it's because you put so much of yourself in it and you get that story out you've been living with these characters for so long that it feels like I've gotten everything out that I possibly can and I I don't know what else to write about and then one day it comes back really really quickly so you know but that's and then on yeah we're definitely on set you know I'm always like nervous the night before I'm always like please don't waste these people money I'm just like <laughs> I'm usually like in a hotel room like Oh Lord, like, can I do it? And then I just need to get the first shot off. That's it. The, the, once that first shot is off, and then you're good. I'm good. Nobody ever knows I'm stressed. And I think, which is very important too for a director because that stuff spreads like wildfire. But I really also know that if I'm afraid um, before I'm embarking on something, that means I actually give a damn. And that's important because if I'm not scared, yep. I don't mm-hmm. care. And if I don't care, then that means, I mean, what am I doing it for? So that's why, you know, so you got to be very selective on the projects that you take. You know, what actually are you going to stick with? What actually moves? You know what I mean? So you you got in your car, you drove to L.A., you applied to film school. Uh, Tell us about that. Like, do you think an MFA is something you would you would recommend to someone who wants to go into TV and film? Well, I mean, I think um, as far as like getting an MFA for me, I didn't know anything about 
about making a film. Nothing. I never made one. I would never, other than me writing for myself, I'd never shown anyone. I, it was, it was something I'm like, I need to know how to even do this. So for me, it was crucial and I had to spend the money. For some people, I mean, it's really an individual choice. You know, you have to look at your money, your time. Um, do you need structure, you know, to be able to do it? Or can you just decide, I'm just going to go on a job and get my training that way? And both of them are, are equally fine. Okay. And so then you go to film school and then you create your first film, or not your first film, but your your baby, Mississippi Dam, right? Which is based <laughs> on a true story. And I, I watched it and I have to say it was one of the most captivating storylines because when you just when you think it can't get any worse, it gets worse. And because you talk about <laughs> everything from like addiction to violence to sexual assault, and you're just sitting there trying to take all this in. Tell us, like, how what was the process to write this to write this film? And don't apologize. You it know, was great. I, it was it was the writing. <laughs> the writing was great. The cinematography was great. I mean, it was such an overall it was such a good film. Yeah, I just like to always give people hugs afterwards because <laughs> I'm like, I'm, it's okay. I'm fine. <laughs> it's gonna be all right. That's where I'm like, I'm like, I'm so sorry. You have to watch it alone. I wish I could give out hugs to the screening. Yes, I could have <laughs> you know, a hug. I mean, it definitely made me feel grateful not to make your situation um sound worse but like it just it made me feel grateful for my parents and my life and I, but I, I definitely needed a hug before I went to bed that night <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean and that's the thing I mean you know it's one of those things for me it didn't start it was weird I, I had just gotten out of film school and I was just sitting there kind of just writing and it just just I didn't know what I, I wasn't doing. I, it's the only film that I did not do in a traditional way of outlining it and going through it that way. It's the only film that I haven't done it or any kind of project of writing, uh, which is strange. And I don't know if that's because I just didn't know that I needed to start there or not. Um, but I just kind of was just coming like writing scenes and just thoughts from the past. And all of a sudden I was like, well, it's becoming a screenplay. It's growing into that. and you know, I started working on it like I was working at a boys group home. So when I would do overnights, like I would just write on the script and halfway through the script, my mom got cancer. And she told me, you know, before she passed, she was like, promise me that you will finish this movie, that you will make this movie. Be real about it. And, you know, and I had to put it down after she passed, like, so many months like I couldn't go back and then I had a friend who had lost her mom and she was like I promise you sit down and write it's more therapeutic than you think and I sat down I don't think I even got a chance to write interior all the way through and I just bawled the first day like I was just gone um like crying and then every day it became easier 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 and I it did become part of that was the beginning of the healing process I think for me um, and helping me with, you know, the, with grieving for my mom, because yeah. I was a young kid, I didn't, didn't know how to deal with that. Like, but it was, that was the pivotal thing that kept me going with Mississippi Band. Um, and my wife and manager, um, Morgan Stiff, you know, she knows my family of course, intimately. And so every page I would write, you know, she was right there to read it and, you know, kept me honest on situations, you know. Um, cause sometimes, you know, it's hard to tell your family business and you're supposed to be talking about it. Uh, but if you're not being honest on paper, she would push me to that, you know, to make me make sure I would do that or mm -hmm. to make sure like 
okay, the character that's based on you, you know, it's so hard to look at yourself. That's the hardest character I would ever find to write is when you have to write about yourself. And, you know, she would make sure that I was not making her completely flawless. <laughs> yeah, you could tell. I mean, all the characters had so much depth and personality. So I, I can see how being emotional and going through that process really did help you develop those characters. Yeah, it, it really did. And I just always tried to, and something like I, when I used to teach, I always would impart to my students is that you should care about every character that's in the script. I don't care if it's they got one line. What, what is it about that person? Because they, why are they in there? You know, and think about it and try to make sure you have your characters well-rounded and let them live in the gray. Life isn't black and white. So why should your characters be? And some of, and now going back to the movie, um, like you had some really big names um, in Mississippi Dam. How do you, do you go about finding such great talent when you weren't, when the movie wasn't backed by a production company already? Um, we were so fortunate. Um, we uh, started with Film Independent. Um, Morgan was actually doing the producer's lab. And we had a small amount of financing, not the amount we really wanted for the budget. And, you know, basically she went to like the mentor that's in that said, you got this money, make the film for what you got. And then she so came where you, home. So where did you get the money from, though? Where do you get funding from? It was a private equity. So this was okay. coming from, you know, um, you know, family and loans. I wouldn't necessarily advise anyone to take out a loan to do this <laughs> film. But it was like nobody else was going to make it for me. And it wasn't, we didn't mm-hmm. have anybody that was just going to give money. So that was something that was important to us. I mean, we also chose to. We were like, oh, Prop 8 passed. Did we get married or make this film? We chose to make the film, thinking <laughs> Prop 8 would, you know, would not pass. So <laughs> we were wrong about that one. But, you know, we chose movie over over wedding at that time. So, you know, but that was just one of those things where, you know, just like now how do we get it done? And Morgan just, Morgan and Lee Smith, they both just knew exactly how to play this and to get this and to make sure at that movie, it would not look like it's half a million dollars, you know, um, that we would have that production value. And through Film Independent, we ended up connecting with casting directors, uh, Mormon Bowling Casting, you know. It, and so they basically brought us, like, a lot of talent that, you know, here's the known talent going through, trying to make offers. And sometimes it was, like, the people that we wanted, you know, we might not was able to get due to schedule availability or just maybe interest in the project, um, or we just couldn't afford them. And so, but what, you know, Meg and Sonny were able to do is really just one, know the actors that, that we could approach that we needed to do. And everybody came, was ready to read. Everybody read for it. And I was really shocked by that. And I was like, oh, they're reading? Oh, the sweet, <laughs> you know, <laughs> for the audition. Because, uh, you know, I remember with D.B. Woodside when he came, in, I thought we were just going to have a meeting and then he brought his sides with him and I was like I definitely cannot read the sides with you bro because I, I can't act <laughs> yeah, so basically it just comes down to hustling right hustle hustling to get the pe- get the funding and get the right people and and then make it, it work I mean you know what your limitations are now it's like you can either look at the problem and try to say oh we have this issue or you can say well what's the solution um, to it because there's always a solution and being willing to collaborate with other people so that y'all can find the best solution together 
and for the for every you know for the situation and it's like that's having each other's back as a team and that's that's what you know yes. you can't make a film nor would I think you try it too <laughs> if you didn't have a team everybody is equally important nothing works without anybody PA to the director to the producer it doesn't matter um you need mm-hmm. everybody on that set and everyone is making it happen and that's why I don't take film by credits you know because it's not a film by me it's a film by us I just happen to have the honor to direct it that's a great way of looking at it. I love that. So now you you put out this film, um, the came out in 2008. It got its real break in 2015. Talk about what you and your team were doing behind the scenes during that time to get it to get it to that level. Yeah, I mean, we we had, um we did get chance to get distribution um and at the time we came out um it was one of those things we were actually, you know, 2009 at the recession um people really weren't backing it we got you know precious came out the same year you know we heard from distributors that the market can't bear two black films at the same time two black dramas and and i'm like oh what i'm like well how do we have the 15 comedies with the white men as leads you know like don't you know don't don't lie about what that is you know um that's something that 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 they have to look at too you know, as distributors at that time, you know, and with their acquisition. And so, you know, we ended up selling it to Showtime where it was on um, there for, um, for a bit. Um, we decided not to distribute it um, with the company, but to self-distribute because we were like, hey, we put the money in ourselves pretty much mostly. So if we're going to, you know, sink, well, we'll, we'll sink on our own terms. You know, we're not going to take a bad deal that's going to be packaged with a whole bunch of films that we'll probably never see the light of day. So we'll try it on our own and sell mm-hmm. these. And then in um, around 2016, it was um, around the time, the summer before I started uh, working on Queen Sugar, you know, um, Ava DuVernay and Array at that time, you know, they were like, it was a Array, not a firm, but um, we, you know, it just ended up, you know, we got distribution through Netflix. Um, so once and working with them as our, you know, distributor. So then that way it found a whole new life and got a rebirth. Um, after finally having an opportunity for people to see it on Netflix and, you know, you're not the only person that's watching it and crying it, crying, <laughs> you know, like see on Twitter, like, oh, they're crying. Oh, so thank you for watching. But I don't know why are you watching at one in the morning? Like, I just don't know if I can go to sleep afterwards. <laughs> Yeah, don't do that. Do not watch this film at one in the morning. <laughs> but it's funny. It's like you see all the comments. It's like one, two, three in the morning. And I was like, oh, my God, people stay up late. <laughs> one. <laughs> and I was like, I don't think I can. Well, they probably watched it and then couldn't go to they, sleep. I was like, I think they needed a drink. I mean, I think that's one of the things, you know, you think about at film festivals. What do you give out as the kind of party favors or favors for your movie? Do you give out pins yes. or do you give out shot glasses <laughs> in this case? I don't know which one. <laughs> <laughs> but you, so you did apply you did submit to a lot of film festivals and you won a lot of them I, how did you navigate the film circuit and like what advice do you have for people who are going to film festivals to be successful well, I think one I think you definitely you know working with your producers and and your team to come up with a festival strategy for where you're going to have your premiere where how you're going to navigate the system and 
you know, and also realizing like, you know, we know what, when our festivals are and Sundance kicks you off for the rest of the year, but deciding which is the best place that one where we think we can actually, if you're trying to sell your film, where you can actually get it acquired. Um, or if you have indeed, and you're choosing to have a screen, like, um, you know, the hate you give premiered at Toronto, you know, but even it didn't need funding, but that's where they chose to premiere. That was the best market for them to actually in the best place to showcase it. So you have to really think about that. Like, how do you want the, the film to live? Because it just doesn't end at the making of the film. You have to know how to sell it. And that's the one thing that sometimes I feel like in film school, you don't learn how to do. You learn how to make a great film, but you don't know how to sell it or even how to sell yourself. Um, and realizing like how to do brands or contracts and all that stuff. And it, that's something you end up learning you know, in the midst of it. And it's really can be very confusing and scary and you don't want to make the wrong mistake. And then you go with your gut a lot of the times and, and ask advice. And thankfully, you know, organizations like Film Independent, uh, Josh Welsh, like, you know, from the moment that he, we've known him for so long and have done every project the Film Independent has, uh, every lab um, that they do. But it was just something that you can always rely and call on them to, ever you know get help advice or talk to to try to figure out certain things and you know being able to take you know he takes those phone calls and he still takes calls today when we hang out you know or something you know but it's like it's it's a good <laughs> relationship and they really are family um at film independent and i we really feel very part of that family and we know that you know our film would never have been made had they not been involved and so it's always good to know the different organizations that really would champion your film and do as much as they possibly can to try to get it the attention it needs, you know, sometimes help you with telling you the festival strategy. Um, and, but it doesn't um, always mean at one festival you're going to sell, you know, at this one and only this one. I mean, you see Moonlight premiering at Telluride, you know, so um, that was a great, that was a great venue for them to premiere. Um, and so, you know, it just depends on your particular film and the audience you're going for and where you're going to get the best reviews um, for your film and to make sure it doesn't get lost in the shuffle of the programming. So now you've, you've, you've shot this film. And since then, I mean, you've had so many opportunities to write and direct episodes for hit shows like Dear White People, Queen Sugar, Insecure, Queen of the South. How did you how did you make a name for yourself to get those opportunities? I mean, everything started with um, Queen Sugar and, you know, Ava calling and giving me an opportunity of a lifetime and where it was at a point where I was actually like about to give up. Like I, I was just like, after all these years, it didn't seem like it was working. And and how many years had you been, how many years had you been doing I've it? I've been this out point? here for like 14 years, you know, trying to make it happen. Oh, wow. And I'm like getting closer to 40 and it's like, is it going to work or not? Am I wasting my time? I'm scared. You know, what, what more do I need to do? And then, but that's the importance of having family and friends that support you. You know, my friends are like, you know, you might, if you were trying to sing, we would say, yeah, baby, go back to Mississippi because you can't sing. <laughs> they would tell me that. <laughs> but they were like, yes. no, nah, you took it of a writer directed leave. You're not going nowhere. And uh, just in like within that, within a month's time, Ava contacted me and was like, hey, I got a show, Queen Sugar is going to be on own. You want to come on as a producer, a director, you know, right in the room? 
yes. <laughs> and then it was so much of, you know, Warner Brothers like, oh, we, we, we need to send the paperwork to your people. And I'm like, I ain't got no people. I'm like, I, at that point, no agent, lawyer, nothing. I was like, I have no people. But I was just like, okay. <laughs> so I had to go find uh, people, but the people that I ended up connecting with, and, you know, that was, it was the best thing. Uh, but yeah, that was where I got my break. And without having someone to open that door, none of this would be. And that, that's where everything started with Queen Sugar. And from there, directing on that show, and, and I can't believe, I mean, I was really honored to direct the last two episodes of season one. You know, and that was the first time I ever directed episodic. So, you know, I was really, <laughs> really scared. You know, but that show meant so much to me. Um, you know, and I just, our, our writing room, um, the cast, the crew, and you don't, and I just, we lived and breathed that story in that writing room. Um, and then on top of that, when you meet the real people who are actually the actors playing, you know, them and they're actually good people and they become your family as well. I mean, it just makes the working environment that much better. Like, you know, you're really creating magic, you know, on screen and working together. But it's like also you get a chance to have so much fun on set, which I love doing. I like having fun. Because um, I remember those days when I didn't have anything to do. <laughs> yeah, I had nothing. I'm like, I'm like we somehow tricked people into paying us. Why y'all tripping? Don't get us. <laughs> like, you know, but it, it was like, but that, yeah, like, and and what, and then the irony of it is after Ava offered me the job, and of course I said yes immediately. A week later, Gina Prince Bicewood calls me for shots fired, and she's like, I want to bring you on staff. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> like it just like it hit right That's there awesome. and I was like can I write for two shows I mean I don't know I'm like I, I have no idea and I'm like no they were like no you can't but um I you know but I'm like here's the woman that um changed my life and made me take a chance across make a trek across the world I mean it felt like the world anywhere the country but it was a different world for me um yes. and make me you know to have that to give me that drive and here she is, like, right here offering me a job and is my mentor and my mentor to this day. Uh, so, like, you never see that happening, you know. And Kim is a mentor as well. I never would have thought that the two women that changed my life the most, that they would be my mentors today and my friends and uh-huh. um, people that I can rely on and can trust. I, I never would have thought that. It, it, but that's the beautiful thing about yeah about life, uh, of how it comes back around, you know, you can't see these things coming. Mm -hmm. Yes. So did you ever, have you ever asked Ava, like, how did she come to know you to give you this opportunity? She saw Mississippi Dam, like when back on the festival circuit in uh, 2009 and she loved it. Yeah. And she, you know, she just really loved the film, gravitated toward it. And when she did middle of nowhere, she was like, Hey, do you mind, um, can we borrow, you know, some posters? So would make this a film that, you know, they go see for their date. <laughs> so in the, in the movie, I was like, we got plenty of posters here. How many you need? So, so, let me give it to you. <laughs> but, you know, but just kind of going around, just knowing, you, you know, on, being on the festival circuits, you know, and you, you're going to, we run in the same groups, you know, as filmmakers and especially as black women, you know, we, we try as best we can to make sure that we know our community and that we help each other. And so, yeah, she was just a really big, big fan of the film and she 
was like, no, I don't want to bring you on as a staff writer. You know what you're doing for TV. I've seen you do all these programs here. You're going to come in as a producer. Um, and like that never happens. And that, that's also changed my life. It's what I'm able to do as a writer in writing rooms um, because my position, I'm not starting down as a staff writer. I'm already at the producer level. And that wouldn't have happened if she wouldn't have done that. And so I will always be forever grateful to Ava for opening that door for me when no one else did. So just so for clarification, so you were, you're a writer, a director and a producer on the show. Like what does each role entail? And would you suggest, or do you, do you recommend that people be skilled in all three, being able to take all, all three hats? Well, I think you should definitely, you, I think in order to do a good job in our industry, I think you need to know what everyone's position is and what it entails and what their job is so that you can appreciate and understand what they have to do to get to this result. Um, you need, to me, you need to know what grip and electric is doing. You need to know what visual effects have to go through. All of this stuff will come in hand in hand. Um, as far as like as being a show, you know, being on the show um, as a writer, you know, that means that, you know, I'm in the writing room with every day and we're, we're breaking story and coming up with each episode what it's going to be about. And when you go off, you'll have your own individual episode to write, but you still have your writing room because we've, we've all worked together to make sure that the story is solid and you go off and you write. Um, and then you, you are looking at things from a wider point of view. And I like to switch hats on that, but you're also looking at it when you're a producer on a show, I feel like it's, it's part of your duty because you're all episodes produced with you're there with the show from the very beginning of the first episode you don't finish until you hit that last episode you're not going anywhere you're not on that time limit um those 20 weeks like a staff writer would get and hope for an extension um and so what you're looking at is dealing with that making sure that the show is going through and also i personally like to make sure i pay attention to budget as well because i'm like i'm used to making films that i ain't got no money so i'm like but it's like, I'm like, okay, we got money. Like, let's save it. Like, you know, I think on every show you'll find yourself where it's like, um, as a director, I, I do find that coming into play because we'll point the camera one direction and they'll say like, okay, so we got 20, we spent 25,000 for this. Then I'll tilt the camera to the right. And I say, well, how much would that be? Free. Okay. There we go. <laughs> you know, cause <laughs> you know, you know, when you're from indie film and that that's always going to be in me, you know, you, every dollar counts and you think about it um (laughs) and how to how to make that work without sacrificing compromising story or character to make the financial budget happen but I think you know for me it's something as a producer on a tv show that I'm always uh trying to be aware of and making sure that we're using our sets too uh so we're not so much on location all the time but it just depends on the show some shows work mostly on location but um, and as a director, when I'm directing, I don't put on my writer's hat. Um, what I'm doing is who I prefer not to ever direct the episodes that I write. Um, so they always give me the opportunity in the room. They'll say like, oh, do you want to write the episode you're directing? And I don't want I never want to because I like working okay. with other people so much. And I, I want another person's perspective as a writer of that episode and, and also just a chance to bring what their vision is to life and put it up on the screen. And that way I can, you know, I'm looking at it from this point of view as a director. I do know what's going to happen in the show, which is, gives me an advantage, you know, to really know how to play these scenes and which ones are really handled this way because I know what we're setting up. Um, but at the same time, it's like having someone else there as a writer of the episode to cover it 
that's something, another job I don't have to think about doing, you know, that I have, here's my partner to be able to be there to make sure did we get this or did we not, you know, and, and me making sure that I'm focusing on other things. So it's all a matter sometimes of really knowing how to switch hats for each position, that that's the crucial thing mm-hmm. of knowing that. Okay, yeah. Cause I was just curious for the listeners, like I, you don't usually hear someone doing all three or maybe you do. And I just, it's just never been publicized as much, but I noticed when, when you're working on these shows, it's always like Tina does writer, producing, directing. And so just curious how you balance all of that. <laughs> I'm still trying to work that out. <laughs> I'm trying to work it. <laughs> right now, love is what takes it, it makes it go, you know, just loving what I do. Yeah. That's, that's a lot. That's awesome. Yeah. So, so now you said you were in LA for 14 years, really just grinding and hustling and waiting for that big break. What were you doing in those 14 years? Like what were the highs, the lows? Like what were you doing to get your name out there? Um, I was like, I had had my short film my thesis film i co-written a comedy feature itty bitty titty committee uh which is ironic for me for, for, for different reasons uh and i'm like and also <laughs> writing a comedy uh was a whole new kind of thing another genre for me um and i'd done these things but you know i didn't have an agent i had no representation and that and i thought that as soon as i got out of film school that you made your thesis film, you show it at first look for USC. There you go. Now here comes an agent. And that's not how it works, you know? And also, and I didn't know how to really use the festival circuit back then of how, where should I premiere this? And the thing is the movie got a lot of traction and it got a lot of airplay too. Showtime and um, when it was like BTJ, you know, before it became centric and, all, you know, it's just on uh, all networks is really playing. And really going around and touring with the film as well. So, um, you know, that's just one of those things just that I, you know, I just thought that that was going to be it, but it just didn't work out that way. And so I was disappointed by it. So I took, you know, I took a job at Sony and TV marketing department, editing Judge Hatchet episodic uh, promos. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, okay, doing this, uh, Judge Maria Lopez. Uh, so really get this show, uh, and you just doing that is, you know, like I, I realized the divide between corporate and creative too at that time. Um, because I was like, oh, I want to, you know, I want to write on a show, but this is not the way that, you know, I could, you could see the segregation between that, that they didn't want you to, anybody to cross over. And, and I was like, okay, well, that seems to be the rules. And then at that point, once that job um, ended, I ended up going to the voice group home. I worked there uh, for for a while. Then that home got shut down. And, and then I was like, oh, my God, I have no job. What am I going to do? <laughs> and I'm like, luckily, I had a friend who was um, at the Art Institute. And he was actually over the, over the department. And so he hired me to work in the film department. So I became a teacher there. And then I also taught at Cal State Long Beach. So I just taught every subject possible and I did that for about five years until I got on Queen Sugar and um, once I got you know on Queen Sugar of course I had to quit my job <laughs> as a teacher I didn't have enough time to do justice for both things so but that was what I did in between and I kind of resigned myself to thinking you know I was going to be one of those people I guess in the end that they're going to be they're going to be the teach not do you know uh, one of those people. Um, mm-hmm. But what I really realize now is that it actually made me a better artist by actually going through what I went through 
Um, and I think success and opportunities come when it's supposed to. And I believe when there were certain things, like as much as I wanted things to be different with Mississippi Dam, I don't think there were certain things that I personally would have been ready for to handle, you know, going out with the film and having and pushing it in a different kind of way, especially on such a large scale, um, like the way that I can now. Um, just for the sheer fact that I've grown, you know, I'm growing up and you're more confident, you're more assured of what you do know and you know how to ask questions about what you don't um, and not have any shame with mm-hmm. it. Because right. that's where I see a lot of people fall short. <laughs> I'm like, the only dumb question is the one you don't ask. It's okay to ask people stuff. Like, it doesn't mean that, that, that you know, don't get your ego yeah. involved in this shit. I mean, sorry. <laughs> I don't know if I can curse hold on. That's you know, it's, you know, <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Yeah, you don't want to get get yeah, passionate. I, I am what a foul mouth. No, <laughs> <laughs> they say the most intellectual people have the foulest mouths. <laughs> okay, well, that's good. Then I'm gonna make it. I think all my scripts are R-rated, <laughs> so I mean, you know, if we if we get good one. It's always strong language. <laughs> <laughs> my episodes or whatever so but yeah but I mean it's just not not to let ego get in the way of it um and just know that insecurity comes across in like a little wave that's just because you know like I we said discussed earlier about you're just afraid and because something is new and it's okay to feel not a hundred percent confident in it the first time you do it because you just had takes like anything else. It takes you have to build that muscle, and and then you're you'll get to a point where you're like that part doesn't phase you as much. But then later on, there'll be something else new that will you'll have to go through that same process. So how did you stay optimistic? I I mean that's I stay optimistic. I mean my wife is someone who's very pivotal um, in my life, and that you know she is a person that you know just pushes me challenges me, supports me, loves me in so many in every way and that I have that and I feel assured. And I also never want to disappoint her. I swear I just never do. And so that keeps me really pushed and my friends and my family of not wanting to to let them down either. And also just to hear the you know, them being that that voice of support, the shoulder, the cry on if you need, you know, the laughter you need to just hang out, whatever. And us all reciprocating that to one another because we are a family, you know, that that's what gets me through it. And it's like, I do this because I I do love to do it. I love swimming television. Um, But I also love, and more importantly, I love my family and my friends. And in the end of the day, I'm doing this. Yes, I'm getting, I'm so blessed to do something that I love, but I'm also doing it for this, you know, because this is where I'm, it's got to go back and also doing it for other people to help them like not make the same mistakes that, you know, I do. And that's why I I try to do as much mentorship as I can, you know, given my schedule um, when I can do it, because I, I always think it should be better for the next generation coming up behind us. I don't want you to make the same pitfalls I made or if things can be easier for you, I want to help you, you know. And our company, uh, Morgan Smart, has been one of those things that that's our one of our goals, and that's what we do. And we make sure that we recognize young talent, and we try to make sure and give you a chance. And, like, a former student right now is the VP of development at our company, <laughs> you know. 
because we saw this, you know, we saw this potential in this young black woman and we know you're getting out of school and you had all these, we're coming, we wanted to bring you in and give you a salary so that you don't, you did not have to go through what we went through and have that hardship and, and give you some Mm -hmm. health insurance and things that I just didn't have. (laughs) My health insurance was, well, can you hire me then too? I <laughs> Girl, I, I'm trying to build it. Wait, we, we can build it off. <laughs> I'm working <laughs> on it, working on it. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you, you've come up, you're doing great things. How have you gone about building your brand to be one of the most sought out women in today's film and TV industry? One, I try to just, one, just always stay humble uh, on what I do because and I realized where I came from and what I've gone through in order to try to get to this point and being grateful for the opportunities that I have. Um, two, also just making sure that I try to eliminate as many excuses as this industry can give you for not hiring you. So that's why I do some of every kind of genre, you know, like can't say I can't do action. can't say I can't do, you know, comedy. can't say I can't do drama. You know, it's like, what can't work with kids nope done that you know so that I want to eliminate that so that you can really know and look at the talent that I have and also just making sure that I'm trying to constantly learn um, more about what my craft is and hone it and make sure that it's getting better that it's growing and that takes a lot of different challenges and and that but that's something that you need to go through and also just you have to learn the politics of this business too, which is something that I didn't know initially really um, coming into it. And just because there is a political game, you should know the game. It doesn't mean you have to play the game in the way that they do. Uh, Because to me, I got to sleep at night and I'm not trying to do anybody wrong. The whole thing is to lift you up, not bring you down not not have jealousy about the success of another person but celebrate that and championing it go to that person's mm-hmm. movie show that yes. let it let that dollar amount prove it so that more films can be made you know and so you know but that's about getting outside of you know think just thinking about yourself and thinking about what we do as a whole Yes. No, I totally agree. You mentioned that you continue working on your craft. What are some of the things you do even now to continue getting better and improving yourself? Especially in a writer's writer's room, really having to like pitch every day that you're in there, different ideas. Um, so really learning how to come up with an idea, uh, how to execute it, how to look at it in the totality of an episode or any kind of story and it, and how to write faster and still write good. Uh, you know, if you can write well and fast, that's where you want to be. And you do that from reading other people's stuff as well. Um, and I also, I mean, like, I still kind of always like do this because dialogue is so important to me. You know, I always would tell my students, go listen to two strangers talk. Just go eavesdrop. You know, I'm like, don't get caught though. <laughs> just, just don't do that. But, but I was like, but if you listen to them, you'll understand, see what you, what information did you get from listening to these two people? What is their relationship? How do they talk? What happened to them the other night? What, you know, I'm like, because people don't just come up. Do you remember that party the other night? You know, <laughs> like, that's not how that goes. The way they discuss it. And that way you learn how to get genuine, honest, expositional dialogue out that you need to get out, but in a way that's completely natural about and how we speak. So, but those things are extremely important to me. 
The Hate You Give is a movie that's coming out based on a book, awesome book, amazing book. Actually, if you people listening, if you haven't read it, I highly encourage you to read it. Um, you recently wrote the screenplay for the movie that's coming out. Tell us, like, again, how did how did that opportunity come to you, and how did you take on that feat? Because I'm sure it's a different um, it's a different muscle that you have to use to take a book and turn it into a screenplay. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, Angie Thomas' book, I mean, which is something that um, my agent brought it, you know, brought it to my attention. Uh, They were looking for someone to come in and rewrite the script that had previously been written. They really wanted it to touch certain areas, not really understand the the, the difficulty that the main character star has to go through leading, leading a double life as a Black woman in this world. And they really wanted things to really hit home and to be, you know, to really make sure that the revisions on the script would bring it to where it is now at the end. And um, that I got that opportunity and I went in and talked to George Tillman and met with him. And, and I really loved the book so much. I was like, this is just great. You know, <laughs> I, want to, I, want to, I would love to rewrite this. You know, I would love to be part of it, just, you know. And it was just one of those things I got that opportunity and it's just, it's a movie like I, you know, I've gotten a chance to see it. I cried. Oh Lord, I cried. I mean, and not just, it was some ugly tears, girl. I mean, I was just, you know, you just like, it's funny. It's like you you write, you write it and then you get so lost in the movie. You forget, like you didn't know what was coming up. Like, I didn't know, like, like, like I wrote it. I should know that's coming up. Like, why am I being surprised? But that was, that shows like how good this movie is. And I mean, I just can't wait for the world to see it. Oh, I can't wait. This is a movie that I think is so special that everyone needs to get behind the support. And it has such a moment right now. I mean, this is the time to tell it. And it speaks to one of the things, I really wanted to make sure that even though it's a young adult novel, that, you know, for me in coming in to do revisions, you know, I also wanted to make sure it was something that was going to apply to my age group, too, you know, in every age group, so that we could be talking and also talk across color lines as well. Um, and, you know, with socioeconomic lines, so that looking at this as a universal story that does have a strong message, but it's something that everybody can relate to. Right. Yes. No, I can't wait for it to come out. That's awesome that you got to uh, got to work on that. So let's get a little serious. I, I, I'm curious, like you've gone, you've been in LA now, you've been working on all these shows. How has your race, sexuality, or gender impacted your career, either positively or negatively? And how have you, how have you challenged those situations? I find that my, my race and sexuality um, has impacted my career mostly more than my, more than my sexuality. Um, I feel more like with my sexuality, mm-hmm. I do feel compelled to make sure that one, I want to always tell our stories. And I also always want to make sure that let's look at life as it is. Let's look at um, this life and look at the, we're supposed to be creating a microcosm of the world as filmmakers. And that includes all of us. So, you know, the entire world in your film doesn't have to be straight, you know, (laughs) nor do they have to all be gay, but can they just look like what the world looks like? (laughs) So, you know, and everything doesn't need to be a coming out story, you know, it's like we have trouble in life, life like anybody else. So, I mean, I've actually found that one to not mm-hmm. be as as hard, but I definitely feel like as far as race and sexuality, I mean, and gender, 
oh my goodness. So that's something that has positively, I what I love about it is that I think all of the injustices that have happened has actually made our community stronger and made us bond together and fight together. And I think that that's the most positive thing and that's the greatest thing that they could have done with um, when you do face these issues, um, that you're just bringing bringing it closer and making that fight to make it make it equal, you know, you're actually helping that <laughs> because you're just making us come together, come up right. with new I- ideas. So thank you in that way. So we'll make a positive out of this. You know, we, <laughs> we're not going to just have it for nothing. Yeah. In this industry are really just intimidated by us because we are confident. I didn't know that confidence was that would make you not get a job. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Surprising. I'm like, damn, y'all got some insecurity. I'm like, you know, but, uh, you know, I'm like, but at the same time, it makes me feel so much stronger as a woman. I'm like, these men have got problems. And, I, and it's like, but these things do hurt on set when you do have to rarely encounter, encounter them at these times. And I'm like, I think people, they got it wrong. They think that women like, oh yeah, you know, you want to cry afterwards because, oh my God, my feelings are so hurt. No, that's not why you crying. You cry because you like this. I'm about to catch a case because I want to murder your ass. <laughs> that is why we, we feel this way. Mm-hmm. This is, we just don't want to go to jail. This is what's holding it in. So I have to cry as not to kill you as I'm riding back to the hotel if I'm having a hard day or riding back home. If you've encountered that, because you've held that in. And it's like, it's not because I'm I'm emotional. No, <laughs> I'm trying to save, save bail money is what I'm trying to do. So, but, you know, and that's the thing about it. It's not, we don't, it's not a weakness. And I, it's so amazing. Like you just hear like, oh, can women direct action? And when they assume that just because someone's father directs action, you know, they discount the female that's the new director because they said, oh, well, her dad doesn't, so she knows how to do it. I'm like, is it passed down through sperm? I, I didn't know that directed action would be what sperm dependent. You know, but, you know, um, and I think, too, of being able, you know, I would love to believe, and I think that this is the primary reason, like, yeah, you hired me because you find that that what I, that my talent can bring something to this particular show so that that's why you know I primarily got hired that it's not based on my race my gender or my sexuality but my talent and what my race gender and sexuality what it's providing is just a different lens to tell that story and that's you know one of those things of that it's like that's I'm going to have a different perspective and so that that's what I'm able to provide you know, as a, as a filmmaker. So for me, it's like, it's come into a way of being very positive because I think I look at things in a different perspective than I did before, or I get a chance to give a voice, which is so important to me, to people who don't have one, because I didn't have one for so many years. You watch TV waiting on someone to tell the story of where you kind of grew up or how you're, you know, like your people that you see every day and it doesn't come. And the thing you have to realize is like, don't wait around for somebody else to tell the story. You tell it yourself, you know, and if you are waiting for somebody to invite you to their table, they may not invite you to the table. So forget it. Build your own damn table. <laughs> I mean, you have to do what you got to do. And that's part of that hustle that you got to keep going with and uh, that you got to keep fighting and you got to keep getting better 
and you have to keep leaning on each other in order for anything to succeed. So what advice, I mean, you just gave a bunch of really good advice, but to wrap up, what advice would you have for creatives on their journey? The one thing I would say is that one, be able to accept rejection. You're going to get nothing but no's, and it doesn't matter about all the no's you get. It's the one yes that you get. That's what's important. I got rejected. I applied to four film schools. I got rejected from three of them. I had no idea about USC, and that was the one I happened to get into. But I moved out here without knowing that. And, you know, but that was all it took was one yes. It's like I may not have had any kind of thing going in my career, but it took, Ava said yes. For Queen Sugar, it took one thing, and so it's like to be able to not let that that you know deflate you or take away or make you doubt your talent. Um, that you can just understand that this is just a process of how things are in our industry, and that you know get a get backbone for it, but don't let that discourage you. Let that no encourage you. What does it tell you? It tells you that you got some hope coming, and a yes will come your way. And also that to be patient and that's the heart. I mean, I struggle with patience myself still. I mean, it, I think we all kind of do it, but it's so easy to be patient, you know, impatient with this process because you really want to get out there and, and work and you want to be able to have fun with that and create something that affects lives, but you may not get that chance, but it will come be patient. Um, and then also educate yourself. Try to connect with people who are doing it in this industry. Try to shadow them. I think shadowing is the most important thing that you can do. Um, whether you can get a chance to sit, into, sitting, sit in a writing room, shadow that way, or be on set and shadow a director or, you know, or shadow them through prep the whole way to see how it is. Because I think it lets you know, like, you might want to do this even more after you see it. Or you might be like, uh, maybe I want to do this part instead. You know, but how can you know if you never see it? You know, and that's the thing right. about it that I think that's the part that's yeah. missing in our industry. A lot of it is because it's so it's so set off and it's so private. You don't know. So you're walking into a writer's room, even though every room is different, there still is a constant that kind of flows through it. But you, but you won't know unless you're in, involved in it. You won't know what it takes to actually, what do you have to go through as a director to prep something for an episodic, you know, directing gig and how to execute that and be on time, how to act with the writers, the actors and do all of that. You would not know that if you weren't able to sit there and watch that director do it and be able to ask them questions and talk about it, why they made certain decisions, you know? So, you know, that to me is one of the most invaluable things that you can get. And so that's what I would just say is just, be patient because that yes is coming. Get a backbone for the nose and then try to find a way to shadow somebody. So that part is something I think people, you need to always look out to have in your life. And so for me, George and Gina are just a small, you know, gathering of people who I are my mentors that have been through things that I'm about to go through and my rise in my career. And they are so willing to help and to give advice. And without that advice, I can't make it. It's going to be harder for me. And they're so open with giving it. So we have to continue to do that and pass that down. You're amazing. I love everything you just said. It's such a, it's refreshing and it's, it's, it's like 
it's actual knowledge people can easily implement, like getting a mentor and going and shadowing someone. And I think the hardest thing for creatives is understanding that there's always going to be no's. Um, people think everything is just, it's the luck of the draw, but it's really the hard work. I mean, you put in 14 years in mm -hmm. LA before you got that. Yes, but you didn't give up. And that's yeah, just awesome. And then you got to have your tribe around you. Awesome. You know, you got to have your family. So let's jump into the lightning round. I'm going to ask you five questions, rapid fire, and you just tell me the first thing that comes to mind. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> let's go for it. Yep. What is the best piece of advice you've received? Keep hustling, never stop. What is your definition of success? Can you, do you feel like you've impacted someone and made a uh, lasting impression in this world, um, be it on a big level or a small level, but that you've impacted someone else's life? Not counting your wife, who inspires you and why? <laughs> um, um, I, I, my parents, uh, they're not around, but what inspires me is because they went through all this hardship and um, they went through everything so that I could have the luxury to choose what I wanted to do with my life and not just have a job. And they made that sacrifice and all the hard work they put in and all of the sacrifices they made and the strength that that provided me with and the way that I look at life. They are my, they are some of my biggest inspirations and, uh, you know, and they're not here, but I will still feel like I cannot fail them. <laughs> What's a habit that's helped you on your journey? <laughs> Laughter. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> what do you want your legacy to be? I want, I want people to look at my career and be able to say that even if it's one person that you, you gave me hope. And you showed me something that it was what I thought was impossible was possible. And if I can do that, um, that will be one of the greatest legacies that I could leave behind because that's what would have made me even have a legacy in the first place because that's what people did for me. I love it. Tina, where can listeners find you online? Oh, you can find me at um, morkinsmark.com. Uh, M-O-R-G-A-N-S-M-A-R-K.com. Um, and that's everything that our production company does. Uh, it's a way to contact me <laughs> of going through my management. Um, but it's also the best way you can do it. And I'm also uh, under my Twitter handle, Tina Mabry. Very cool. Thank you so much for joining us today, Tina. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast. Hey, before you hit pause, did you find this episode helpful and enjoyable? If so, could you leave an Apple podcast, aka iTunes review? It'll take you less than one minute and mean the world to me. The more ratings and reviews the show gets, the more people are able to find this podcast. If you're unsure how to leave a review, no worries. If you're on your iPhone or iPad, go to the homepage of this show and scroll down to write a review. Click on it and you'll be able to rate and review the show. If you're on a Mac from iTunes, go to the show homepage and on the top, click ratings and reviews. Also, please subscribe to get the latest episodes once they drop. If you enjoy the episode and know someone who would love it, please share. From your iPhone, click on the icon with three dots and then share via social media, email or text. If you want to hear more, head over to funnybrowngirl.com forward slash podcast. You can also find me online. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Funny Brown Girl. Also, sign up for my free newsletter for more tips to advance your creative journey at funnybrowngirl.com forward slash subscribe. 
And again, if you enjoyed the show, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Now, go flex your creative muscle and keep winning. Thank you for listening. See you next week.